Good-looking group tonight. Generally pretty good-looking, but particularly good-looking tonight. Hey, this week started out with a bang, didn't it? Pun intended, bad joke. Go ahead and laugh. Oh, yeah. Hey, I saw some of you at the parade, uh, 4th of July. How many of you got to go to the uh, Hillsborough Parade? Yeah, yeah. All right, how many of you missed it on purpose? Yeah? Oh, man, I got to tell you, you don't like candy as much as I do. The only embarrassing thing about me going to the parade with all the, the little kids, you know, and we got to be with a bunch of families and kids, the only thing embarrassing is when I hurt them, when I'm getting them out of the way to... It just didn't work that well. And no, just love, love this city, love you, love this community. Just love being with you on Saturday night at Evergreen. So cool. Hey, if you haven't made summer plans, there's a day trip that could be absolutely gorgeous. Let me ask, how many of you, we'll do a little poll here. How many of you have visited the headwaters of the Metolius? Central Oregon, near sisters. Yeah, headwaters of the Metolius. How many of you haven't done that yet? Oh, you'll want to put that on your plans for this summer. It is the most astounding sight. You literally stand on ground, and in front of you, a river materializes. It's a subterranean river, and it just pops out there, but it literally looks like it just showed up right there in front of you. The water is clear. It is cold. It's pristine. It's drinkable. It's wonderful. And if you've been there to the headwaters of the Metolius, just a mile or two down from the headwaters, there's Camp Sherman, and there's a bridge there, and there's big fat trout that you, you can't catch, but you can feed, I think. And it's just beautiful, clear water. If it wasn't for a ripple in the current, you wouldn't know it was there because it is so absolutely gorgeous and pristine. There's another river that starts in a rather dramatic place. It's the biggest river in the world, the Amazon. It, it starts up 4,000 miles away from the equatorial Atlantic on the eastern slopes of the Peruvian Andes. And what you're looking at in the previous picture was the furthest most uh, point from the ocean where that little tiny mountain stream begins to flow. As it joins other streams and then rivers and then becomes the Amazon and flows over 4,000 miles through the rainforest and it picks up dirt and minerals and animals and seeds and leaves and trees and other kinds of organic material. And what you see here is the picture of the Amazon flowing at 7,700,000 cubic feet per minute, second rather. That's like 88 Olympic-sized swimming pools every second surging into the Atlantic Ocean. What you see on the picture is off on your right-hand side, you, you see the Delta River region, and toward the left, it's flowing through the Delta and then out into the blue Atlantic, but that plume created by all of the stuff that the Amazon picks up can be visible for miles across and into the ocean because it brings that much current with it. But it all started at a stream in a mountain that was absolutely pure and pristine, entirely clear. Your heart is your headwater. The Bible speaks of our heart over 900 times. And in the book of Proverbs that we're journeying through this summer in our series, Enjoy the Journey, Heart is used 77 times. Today, I want to take a look at one place with you where it describes this center of you, your very essence, the most you 
you will ever be. As the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, and because of God's inspiration, God himself speaks these ancient words to us that are absolutely true today and always will be and are fresh for us tonight about our heart. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 4, starting with verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. About the heart. The question then is, what's upstream? As you take a look at this uh, lovely picture, uh, think about a word or a phrase that comes to mind. In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to nudge somebody next to you if you would care to and tell them exactly what you think about that. Are you ready? Go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's get a few of those ideas. Just go ahead and fire them out here. What word did you hear that came to mind for you? Gross. Yuck. Oh, I can't even do that. Again? Once again, Tamara? Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. What was that over here? Ooh. Backwash. You've been around kids, Joel. You have been around kids. Yeah. Now, this started out some blight absolutely simple. H2O, pristine, clear, beautiful, refreshing, cool, life-giving, nurturing in every way. And somewhere along the way, it picked up some contaminants, some particles, some yuck, some goo, some crud, some ick, some ah in it as well. And we react to that because we know that what that guy is doing is just not healthy for him. There's stuff in there that's bad. The question we ask tonight is, what's upstream? You notice that it starts out in verse 23. It's the thesis statement. It says, watch over, guard over your heart. Number one priority, if you only have time to do one thing, this is it. Job number one, this is the critical and essential thing to do above everything else, guard your heart. Why? Because it is, I'm quoting from different translations, it's the wellspring of life. It's the headwaters of life. What we read tonight, everything in your life, comprehensively, everything in your life flows out of your heart. Number one priority, guard your heart. Everything else comes out of your heart. Let's unpack the next four verses briefly. There's three ideas that come to mind, and all of them are examples of what happens from a polluted heart. The first thing he tells us in this heart checkup is check out and ask the question, what are you saying? He invites us to listen. What is your mouth speaking? If it's speaking stuff that's coming through and it's pure and refreshing and healthy and nurturing and upbuilding, it's coming out of a heart condition like that. If some stuff is popping out that is polluted, it comes back to the heart. You go to a cardiologist. You've, 
your heart's been racing or you're experiencing some chest pains or your heartbeat seems to be irregular and, and the cardiologist begins to examine you and she runs some tests on you because she has baselines for what a good heart looks and sounds like. And she's able to compare your numbers with those numbers. That's what our great physician God is doing for us here. He's giving us some baseline. And so he says, listen to what you're saying. The second idea and question is, so what are you looking at? Where do your eyes tend to wander and want to focus? It's a heart check. And then the third thing is, take a look and give thought. Think about where your steps want to take you. Because ultimately, it's a heart check. So this week, I had a frustrating moment. Any of you had a frustrating moment this week? For those of you that didn't, hang out with me. I'll introduce you to those. Yeah. After what I'm going to confess to you, though, you won't want to hang out with me. I had a frustrating moment. Wasn't the first one. They were cumulative. Sounds like I'm starting to be defensive and give excuses. I am. Yeah. Yeah, I am. And I said, damn. That's what I said to myself quietly under my breath. And I said to myself, where did that come from? Where did that really come from? I'm not really in the business of asking God to damn stuff around me or people around me. I'm in the business, like you are, of blessing. In fact, the Bible clearly says don't curse, but bless. God blesses. And so a a God-filled heart at any point in time just always spills over in blessing. And a damn popped out to myself, to nobody else, to myself. Where did that come from? Because it came out of my heart. Interesting. This week, there'll be some people in this congregation. They've watched their eyes, and their eyes have led them toward a porn site. And they've wondered, how did I get my eyes and head here? It was a heart condition. That's what this is all about, isn't it? Listen to what you say. Watch where your eyes go, and take a look at where your steps have gone. I would imagine that this week, some of us might have found ourselves going to places that didn't particularly honor God or love people. How did we get there anyway? It has to do with the heart. By the way, since I've confessed that I cussed this week, if you're done with me, you can discreetly excuse yourself and it will be okay with me. Are you all going to stick around? Okay, all right. You're just hoping I stay real, don't you? And confess another one or two. I know you, Dan. I know what's going on there. What's going on in your heart? So our second point today on your outline is asking this question. Why did I do that anyway? Why did I do that? As 21st century people, we have options to answer that question that others didn't. In fact, three guys in the 20th century gave us some whole new world views about how to answer the question, why did I do that? Freud came along. He suggested that we act out of primal urges. If we can just somehow manage the id and the super ego and the ego, we can explain why we did that and maybe do something different in place. One of his disciples, the next generation, was young, and he came along and he suggested that you are essentially your cumulative genetic history. That's why you do what you do. So if you can understand the archetypes 
and the related shadows and manage the shadows, you can explain why you do what you do and maybe behaviorally change some of your actions. And then Rogers came along, and by the way, uh, this is not a bashing against any of them. I think they had some interesting insights and some that may be helpful for us. Rogers came along, I just happened to particularly like him. He suggested that we do what we do because of external forces, both genetic and cultural or societal. And if we could just adjust society around us and create a more nurturing environment, the good that is in all of us would just come out in better and better expression. That's what they suggested. Our basic answers to our question of, why did I do that? Are you ready for what Jesus has to say about this? He absolutely approaches this question from an entirely different point of view. It won't surprise you what Jesus says. For him, it's all about your, let's say it together, heart. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 12. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I love that verse. And can I tell a story about you that I didn't ask permission to tell? (laughs) Go for it, babes. You heard that. If it doesn't work, I'll hear about it later. I used to work for a distinguished, powerful, wonderful person, leader of a large organization. And one day I saw Ann joking and chatting with him by the elevator of the building we worked in, and I came around the corner just as Ann said to him, you are so full of it. That's what she said to my boss. That was a dream day for me right then. That, that was a high moment on my list. Fortunately, his body language was one of engagement, and he was laughing as well, and I I guess he was full of it. I don't know what you were implying, and I don't know what he inferred. But Jesus did say this about being full of it. The mouth speaks out of what the heart is filled with. That's what Jesus said. It is inside out. Notice what he says to the religious folks that had this deal backwards. They thought it was from the outside in. And Jesus says to them, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. They had it wrong religiously. They thought it was about the rules. They thought it was about the external. They thought it was about what they ate, what they didn't eat, what they did, what they didn't do, what they touched, what they didn't touch, how they washed their hands or didn't wash their hands, who they were with or who they weren't with. It was all about the outside in for them. That's the nature of religion, isn't it? And Jesus said you have it absolutely, diametrically, 180 degrees wrong in this thing. The external stuff is an indicator of what is filled, the internal stuff. It's out of the abundance of the heart that we act and we perceive. You see, if the issues of life for us were primarily behavior modification, I'm gonna stop doing that, I'm gonna start doing this. We are left with nothing more than rearranging, I'll use the Bible word, the flesh around from one place to another and end up living life either arrogant because we've managed to improve ourselves better than others, or in despair because we have once again 
failed because flesh management is just not very effective in life transformation. Jesus says it's about the heart. Which brings us to the third point in your outline, which is this. You are essentially your spiritual DNA. I'm going to refer to it. I'm not going to read it. You might want to jot the reference because it's such a powerful, beautiful, delicious section of Scripture, and you'll want to enjoy it on your own. But in Romans chapter 5, starting with verse 21, going through verse 32, Paul, excuse me, verse 12 through 21, Paul describes this idea of spiritual DNA and the heritage that we have. And this is what he says. We have all entered the stream. Go back to the headwaters of the Amazon River on the eastern slopes of the Andes on an 18,000-foot glacial peak. We have all entered into a stream that is issued out of the same headwaters. By one man's sin, your nature was generated. It was begun. Our word generate, the word used for, from what we get, the word genesis, the, the beginnings that God tells us about in the Bible. A congenital condition. It's a condition that a child began life with and was born with. We're told this, that all of us are implicated in Adam's sin, the first man. When he sinned and his nature was changed from the likeness of God in perfect purity and harmony into a nature now that was tainted with sin, which is death and separation, that we were all born into what he had started, into a polluted stream that could only produce more of the same, implicated in his horrible sin. And for those of us that might say, especially as Americans who live in the Western Hemisphere in a democracy, who enjoy our freedom and our personal decisions, we might say, that sounds horribly unfair, doesn't it? I mean, that guy lived forever ago. And because he sinned, I now share his nature? Well, that's true, but it's equally true that all of us verified that, didn't we? The Bible says this, we have all sinned and gone our own way. We only verified what he had set in motion for us. But we all essentially start life in what was generated upstream before us in humanity, and that is a sin nature. There is a second Adam, he's called, or the last Adam. Jesus Christ is referred to in the New Testament. And he came to regenerate, to restart and to bring back and restore what was lost by the first Adam for us. And this new nature from Jesus absolutely requires new headwaters. It requires a new heart. It requires a transplant. This is how the Bible differentiates between the two. We've been transplanted from darkness to light, from bondage to freedom, from death to life, from Satan's rule, to God's kingdom, from stone to flesh, from guilty to forgiven, from hell to heaven, from destruction to regeneration, from death to life. It is a stark and startling 
contrast that this regeneration of Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit brings in our life. It requires nothing less than a heart transplant. Notice there at our fourth point in this talk. The heart transplant comes from the Old Testament. It's the prophet Ezekiel that looks ahead and sees Jesus out there way in the future. And he says these things about Jesus Christ. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. That's his promise. And that's what he says. A heart transplant. The Metolius River, it comes just streaming out of the ground and becomes this beautiful, rushing, pure, clear, nurturing, refreshing, gorgeous river in central Oregon. It's because of where it came from that it flows so wonderfully. What's happening for you in your heart? I know for me, I, I had such a privileged uh, heritage, grew up in a family that loved God and got to come to a great church like Evergreen as a little kid. And I don't think as a Mennonite we ever went to Disneyland. Uh, you know, that's what our kids are doing tonight. Did you see some of them coming in or did you bring your kids tonight dressed? They're having a blast down there. None of them begged to stay and listen to me. I noticed that. Yeah. Great church like Evergreen. And, and I met Jesus at a young age. But I'll tell you, I remember very clearly when God really got a hold of me. I was a freshman with Ann at the U of O, and, and I heard about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I heard that God wanted to fill me inside out and overflow me and saturate me and, and empower me and anoint me and bring grace on my life. And I said, why wouldn't I want all that? And so in a service much like this, I just asked, Jesus, baptize me with your spirit. And that was a major turning point in my life. You'll identify and you'll relate to what I'm talking about. For you, what the transformation that I'm describing, you'll recall happened at the day you asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. And others of you, like me, may have another point in life. But it was so radically changing for me. In fact, it began the fulfillment of what one of the psalm writers in the Bible said, that when God gives us a new heart, he would give us the desires of our heart. I just ended up with fundamentally different desires. You've had this experience. I'm a college kid. I just couldn't stay out of reading God's word. In fact, it, <laughs> I wasn't all that smart about it. I didn't manage the desire all that well. I ended up getting an incomplete in one of my classes that term because I just spent time reading the Bible. Well, if I read, just loved God's word. Would not miss being a part of church. I'm old. This was old school. That meant like Sunday morning and and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and I can count on one finger how many times I missed. And I remember this because it happened to be the one time in five years that our pastor, knowing that I never missed, yelled out into the audience. We thought he had asked a rhetorical question, but he actually wanted someone to answer it. And so he said, Jared Roth, what's the answer? And it was the one night that I missed. <laughs> one night. I know how many times I missed. 
But it wasn't religiously checking it off the box somehow. It was that a desire of my heart was, of course I want to be engaged in wouldn't, I wouldn't not be a part of small groups. I was a part of peer groups. I led a group for high school kids. I was a, leading a Bible study for men much older than me because being a part of a group, of course that was a desire of my heart. And service, it was crazy. But Ann and I, we were friends. Before we were engaged, we volunteered to be a part of teaching three-year-olds on Sunday morning because being of service to others a part of the new desires of our heart. You know, that's one of the reasons around here at Evergreen that we don't turn up the heat. We don't twist the arms. We don't go into high recruitment mode, but we're invitational about opportunities. And why is that? Because we're all about from the inside out. God works on our hearts. And when he gives us a fresh heart, we just want to nurture those desires that he's given us. It's so beautiful. I'm, I'm going to stop in a couple of minutes, but I just, I just have to tell you about like the last 36 hours ago. It just is amazing. It started yesterday. Had coffee early with one of the guys. And, and the whole talk that we had together for an hour and 15 minutes was him telling me about a vision that he has in his heart about how he would like to serve and engage other guys in an area of service that would be just so helpful for people. It's because God touched his heart. He's an old guy like me, actually a little bit older. And Ann and I, yesterday, we got to meet with a couple. And in that conversation, part of their, just a really young couple, just a couple little kids, part of the conversation was, we are just really feeling like we want to get engaged and we want to serve other people. We got to have dinner last night, go out with a couple, and there are peers in life. And much of the conversation was about, we just are really feeling stirred to get reconnected in some fresh and new and substantial ways. And, and how can we be of service to others as well? My first appointment today was with, with a friend. We sat down over coffee. You've noticed the coffee stream. I know, I know. I'm good for Starbucks. Buy stock. It'll be good for you. It's going to go good for you. The conversation was, I'm just feeling like I just want to be engaged and be of service. How's that happen? Because it's all about from the inside out. It's all about heart transplants. So let's ask these three questions. I know it's three. I put up four fingers, but it's just three. They're there. How about your heart tonight? Do you have a new heart? Some of you tonight are here because you really want to get right with God. And in a minute, I'm going to lead us all on a prayer. Very likely some of you will get in on the first part of that prayer. And and you'll say, I really want a new heart. Don't we all know that our lives are polluted? I mean, we get that. I, I rarely meet someone that says, I am the perfect specimen of humanity. We all get it, don't we? And don't we all aspire to be more and to be good and to be great? And isn't it a gift? Isn't it refreshing to discover that you don't have to get there on your own? In fact, isn't it a relief to know that you can never get there on your own, but that God paid an expensive price, the death of his son, Jesus Christ, so that you could receive the gift of a heart transplant, and your part is to receive that? Do you need a new heart tonight? Maybe like me, you've made that decision sometime before. Your question tonight is, what is God showing you about your heart Maybe something's popped out, it's slid out, you felt yourself wandering in a direction, and tonight you know 
that instead of moving the flesh around, you're going to go back to the heart. And your invitation is for God to touch you in that essential place. Or, or what can you do to nourish those fresh new desires that God has placed in your heart because he is doing a beautiful thing in here. Your decision tonight is to decide what you're going to do and then to take actions on that. God loves you. And he's in the business of giving us new hearts. Aren't we grateful for that? It's why we as a church value honest communication. It's why Anne can stand tonight and with a smile and a chuckle say, I tried to get out of hearing the Lord today. It's, it's why I can stand and say, I'm not proud of it, but <clears throat> stupid word popped out this week. Why can we be so honest with each other and among each other? Because we know this. God is purifying our hearts. And as we are on the way with him together, it's okay for us to love and help each other on our way.